We're starting a new series on restoring biblical friendship. It's a little different than how we normally approach our sermons. We usually are going through a book of the Bible and it would be the next verses up. Well, we think it's important as a family, as a body of Christ, to focus on some of the basics of life. And right now we want to focus on this fundamental basic thing, relationships, specifically friendships. Maybe you can remember a time when you were especially alone. You felt more alone than you'd ever felt before. And at that moment, you just felt like no one even knew you existed. Maybe for a young person, you were sitting at home and you, as far as you knew, every person that was alive was out having a great time that night. And here you sat alone at home on a Friday or Saturday night. It was the end of the world. Or it felt like it. And I don't, that, that it's real. You feel it, right? It's a heavy, hard feeling. Maybe for some of you, it was like little Waverly, Kansas boy off to the big school of 8,000 down in South Carolina. And you walk into the second largest dining common right behind West Point, And there's lots of people. You don't know anyone on the entire campus other than the people that you've recently met in your dorm room, Right? And you see thousands of people. You don't even know where to go get your food. And you go and get your tray and little old Kansas boy goes and sits down at a table all by himself. And you feel unbelievably alone in a huge crowd. Or maybe you have felt especially alone as you have gone through a deep, dark, horrible trial. And it feels like nobody even knows you exist. Nobody, it seems like nobody cares. That you're just alone. And you feel the friendship deficit. You know, there's a lot of attention been given in recent time to friendship deficit in America. It's not for lack of connection, right? We're connected to a whole lot of people, maybe more people than we've ever been connected to. If you're on social media, you have a lot of connections, a lot of friends, a lot of acquaintances or so-called friends, and you're connected to a whole lot of people, but you feel the friendship deficit. The deficit really is with friendship, not connection. What God designed to be most fully enjoyed in the context of relationships has become shallow, fractured, and you know it, deeply, deeply lacking. From the beginning, God designed man. God designed man to not be alone. Adam was designed hardwired for relationship. In fact, God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. So he created Eve. And here we see the closest of companionship, right? We see the oneness of marriage. But then they had kids. They had kids. And, And when they had offspring, then it began to give opportunity for relationship outside of marriage. Right. But the problem is that came along with sin and and on the heels of sin. And so ever since. Friendship has always been in the context of a sinful, broken, disappointing world. You think about that. Adam and Eve were the only two people ever that experienced what relationship could be for the full, to the full, and they didn't even experience it that long. We don't know how long, but it became less than. 
Instead, friendship is full of difficulty, division, disappointment, and it will be part of our friend experience, our companion experience, and our community experience until we reach heaven. And if you are looking for the perfect friendship, the perfect community, let me tell you, you're going to be sadly disappointed here just as you would be anywhere else on earth. Because this is a whole group of sinners right here. And we, what we don't want to do, what we, what we do want to do through this series, we want to create a thirst for biblical, godly friendship. But what we don't want to do is create this sense of, well, other people obviously have it really good, and I don't, so I'm discontent. That's not the goal. The goal is to give a picture of what God designed us to be and how God designed us to live and let us grow in that, right? And to become better at that for His glory and for our good. The famed theologian and actor from MASH, Alan Alda, had a great quote. I had to let the older people have their laugh because the younger ones don't even know what I'm talking about. Friendship may not be everything it should be, but loneliness is everything it's cracked up to be. That's something we can all relate to. A true theologian, Bishop J.C. Ryle, back in the 1800s, wrote this. The world is full of sorrow because it is full of sin. It is a dark place. It is a lonely place. It is a disappointing place. And so there we stop. No. He says the brightest sunbeam in it is a friend. Friendship halves our, sor- our troubles and doubles our joys. By the grace of God, He, the, the source of all that is good, has given us a sunbeam, right? To the, that from Him, a gift from Him, that is a wonderful thing when experienced as it should be. And that friendship, as B- Bishop Ryle said, it should half our sorrow. Because when we go through sorrow with a friend, there is, there's, there's really nothing like it. But also, that shared experience of joys. There's nothing that, that helps you enjoy something more than someone there with you going, Yes! That's beautiful! That's wonderful! That's amazing! Right? There's something special about that. You see, by the design of the Creator, friendship is intended to bring wholeness and delight. Adam was, in a sense, he was, he, was, he, was, he was good. He was perfect as God designed him. But there was a wholeness that came when, when God gave him Eve. And there's a delight that comes that when we behold the wonder of God in community with others, that we are increased in our delight. We have more delight because it's shared. Now, some of our introverts here are like, mm, not so much. No, even introverts need this. Right? You may not always think you do, but, but you need it. One of the ways in which people go crazy the fastest, they go literally insane, is to be left entirely alone. Go watch the show alone. The goal of the show is to see how long you can survive out alone. And the thing that gets the most of them is being alone. Right? And, and so that God designed us to enjoy the world in the context of relationships, specifically Friendship. So our goal in this series is really recovering the lost joy of friendship. It is restoring biblical friendship. But you see, friendship is kind of hard because, well, sin, right? And, and so sin is antisocial. 
Sin tends to seek the darkness. Sin tends to separate us, to divide us, to take us off alone. And you carry whatever sin it is, and you can begin thinking, sort of take that sin and, and take it to the end. And sin ends up with death and destruction. It destroys relationships, it destroys people, destroys communities. Sin is destructive, and it's, it's true in friendship. But listen to the other side of that. First John 1 John 1.7 puts it this way. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. We're not going to unpack that whole verse, but let's say this. It's very clear from this verse that if we walk in the light, if we walk in transparency and openness with one another, that we experience fellowship in a way that we wouldn't experience otherwise. That there is something, that next phrase, this is what we really don't have time to unpack, but that next phrase, in the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, sin, there is a sense in the context of relationship, of friendship, of brothers and sisters in Christ, as we walk in transparency, that there is a cleansing influence. Doesn't mean you are, your sins are paid for if you have friends. If you, if, if you somehow have walk in the light that way. But there is an application of the work of grace in your life when you are in true, honest, transparent fellowship with one another. You see? Friendship is truly worth recovering. Biblical friendship is worth recovering because we can't fully, not as God designed, we cannot fully design or enjoy life, true life, to the full without it. Now, I know I may be pressing up against some questions right now, like, I I just need Jesus and me. No, you can't. A.K.A. 52 one another's of the New Testament. As the one congressman, I think, from South Carolina says, you lie. Right? You can't do it alone. You weren't designed to do it alone. God doesn't intend for you to do it alone. And you will not and cannot be mature in Christ as you should be unless you are doing that in a community with walking in the light kind of friends. That's the goal. Now, all of us are like, well then, man, (laughs) I stink. (laughs) Yeah, we all kind of stink at it because, you know, like we said, sin. And so that's why we're here today to say, let's, let's grow in this. We want to, as a body of Christ, see this, pockets of this just spring up all over and to see the influence of that on one another and see this beautiful fellowship as we walk in the light together. That's the goal. So it's not a negative goal, it's a wonderful thing. And John Newton thought friendship was extremely important. Here's what he said about it. I think to a feeling mind, there is no temporal pleasure equal to the pleasure of friendship. That's a pretty solid dude right there saying, man, friendship, friendship is key. You see, the holy passion of friendship is of so sweet and steady and loyal and enduring a nature that it will last through a whole lifetime if not asked to lend money, said Mark Twain. It's a beautiful thing, but it got to know its limits, right? Few relationships are more neglected and few are more needed than true friendship. But listen, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe John Newton and others like Bishop Ryle, listen to Jesus. Chris read this earlier in John fifteen twelve through 17. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
Just ponder that. Think on that alone. As I have loved you. There's a whole lot there. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If you are my friends, if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. You see, Jesus came to rescue us, to reconcile us to himself, and he calls us friends. Now, we'll come back to this, but that may not, for some of you, ring very well, right? When you hear, Jesus calls me friend. That's, so I've got social media friends. I, I don't need more friends. That's because we don't understand friend. We don't understand what friend is and what it was designed to be, and therefore we think of it as some trivial little thing, right? Jesus came. And, and to rescue and reconcile what we lost in the fall. He calls his disciples back to a fully loving relationship with God and man. You see, the greatest commandment calls us to loving relationships with God and one another. And we hear that echoed in what Jesus just said right here, right? When he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. Man, I don't know about you, but I hear Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39. Where Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And do you see there that normally when we think about friends, it's like, oh, I need to go get friends. I need to go make friends. That's not what we see here. We see a going and being a friend. That's biblical friendship, young people. The goal is not for you to accumulate friends. The goal is not for you to go and feel like you've got your crew, that you've got your people. The goal is to go and, you, if you're a believer, you've got your people. It's called the body of Christ. Your goal is to go and be a friend, right? And to walk in the light as He is in the light and that we might have fellowship with one another. To be the kind of person who points others to Jesus and brings others alongside with Jesus and lets them, exposes them to Jesus so that they might be mature in Christ. And we see that picture in our, in our brother Paul throughout his lifetime. The focus often gets off track though. And we need to get back to, we need to love others. Jesus made it so impeccably clear that he even expanded this idea of being a friend to our enemies, right? We're not only to love one another as we love ourselves, but we're also to love our enemies, do good to them and pray for them. It's not about accumulating, accumulating but it's about being, about being a friend. The author of this book, um, Made for Friendship, we're sort of using this as a teaching team to sort of go through and guide the overall uh, discussion. Um, but this book, uh, written by Drew Hunter, he's actually a pastor over in Zionsville, just for outside note. But he says this, 
Because sin entered the world, the way people relate to one another is often disrupted. The good news is that the Bible has a lot to say about how to build God-honoring relationships and friendships with one another. And what's really cool is that right here in John 15, 13 through, through 15, that we see the greatest relationship, that of creator and creation, of savior to saved, is described in the context of intimate friendship. The greatest relationships is described in terms of intimate friendship. Listen again to verses 15, 13 through 15 of John 15. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. What does Jesus go and do the next day? He went and laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. It's friends, friends, friends. And it is friends in the context, as we'll talk about a little bit, of sacrifice. It's friends in the context of, of trust. You do what I command you. That's trust, right? That's faith, okay? And it's friends in the context of, of knowledge. And he, he expresses that when he talks about the idea of servant to friends. It's no, you, you're not just my servants doing what I tell you. You're not just what I command you. But I've revealed to you what the Father is doing. There's knowledge, right? In true friendship, there's, there's depth of sacrifice, there's de- depth of trust, there's depth of knowledge. And as we see that played out, we see Jesus, the great friend of sinners, came to befriend us. And he said to his disciples, you're not just my servants, you're my friends. And you see, you think about how profound that is when we think about how simple that sounds. That the God of the universe, the creator of all, the Holy One, the one who's transcendent and better than any of us, came down and chose to be our friend. And we think about our struggle of being friends, and it's kind of overwhelming. Now, I will say this, friend is not the only way that God wants us to relate to him. It's one way. That he wants us to understand or to view our relationship with him. It's how he wants us then to relate to each other. James describes our relationship with God in similar terms. This idea of friendship. James 4.4 he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We are, it sets up the idea of friendship with God versus friendship with the world. What is it that we treasure? What is it that we trust? What is it that we love? And God calls us into that faithful friendship. And faithful friendship is truly the best way to do life. It, and to help us, it helps us see the beauty of God. Think of, I was just, as I came down front and was sitting thinking about our ABF class today. I studied all week for a psalm, preparing for this, uh, this ABF lesson that we had, and got in there, and some of the things that were shared were so much better and so much more helpful than what I'd prepared all week. And you see, when we're in those fellowship with one another, and the body of Christ is engaging, all of us grow and are better for it, Amen. Right? There's no one person in here who has the corner on spiritual maturity on spiritual insight, right? 
We desperately need one another and we will see life and live life with a better view of God, of His beauty, of His holiness, and in turn delight more fully in Him as a result of godly friends, as a result of biblical friendship. Sadly, we think of friendship really pretty lightly. And we say things like, ah, we're just friends, right? No, that's a wrong perspective. We've trivialized and hollowed out what friendship really means. Again, Drew Hunter, the author of this book, writes this. He says, friendship often feels light and sentimental, more charming than significant. We've connected it to other trivial words like buddy, chum, I don't know about chum, pal, right? Friendship with God seems weak and hollow because we've emptied friendship of its meaning. We've overextended friendship to the point where it means, where it no longer means much. We apply it to everyone, especially on Facebook. And if friends means everyone, then friend means nothing. And so we're calling you, we're calling us, to something more than just to be acquaintances. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 speaks to this strong bond that true friends should have. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how shall one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. And that's why over the years we've had this triple cord um, groups that meet for, with men. It's just simply a group of men who strive to grow in their friendship and relationship with one another and with God. And by that they are strengthened. They're able to stand, right? That's the picture of friendship. And so on the eve of his death, Jesus wanted his disciples to know that the cross was not just a great demonstration of love. It was a cosmic act of friendship. And it's here that we see that the greatest friendship is, discre- is expressed in the ultimate sacrifice. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. The cross was history's most heroic act of friendship. Think on that. that. That it created the possibility for you and for me to have a relationship with Almighty Holy God. Without the cross and the sacrifice of the cross, that was not and is not possible. But it did happen. Jesus, the friend of sinners, came and gave his life on the cross to pay for the sin that had separated us from God and from one another. And through that, he has restored, if by faith we trust in his payment, we can be restored to God. And through that restoration with him, then we can have confidence to know who we are in Christ, and then to live out of that confidence and go, you know what? I, I know this is a broken world, but I have what I need in Christ. He's my sufficient one. And now I can go and be a friend. I can go and give myself, just as Christ gave himself for me, I can go and give myself for others. As he sacrificed himself, I can sacrifice myself. Instead of seeking for me, I seek to be like Christ 
and to go and give me as a friend to others. In Christ, friendship with God is restored. And in Christ, in His church, friendship between believers is being restored. You see, friendship with one another and with God is a, is a supreme pleasure of life, both now and forever. And no one can fully enjoy life without it, as we read earlier. Think about this. In his book, um, Dane Ortland wrote Deeper, he talks about this idea that in this life, I can't help wondering what people think of me. I can't. You walk into a room and you're, you're very, you can be self-conscious. Some of you, some of you, maybe you own the, you know, you don't even care. Um, I don't believe you, okay? Um, human nature tells me that you care. Um, and, and yet, when we get to heaven, think about this. When the gospel is not only fully accepted, but fully realized in heaven, do you realize that we literally won't care? We won't. Because what is there to care about? We will be made perfect in Christ, and therefore we can just, at the one point when you can be fully yourself. And you're like, I don't want to be me because I know what I'm like. No, 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 you don't understand. You will be made pure and clean, and you will be able to be fully yourself. Not worried about all this garbage. But in this life, we struggle with that. But the gospel helps us. The gospel comes along and says, you know what, Stephen? I know that you feel this great burden to please people, but let me tell you, you, I am pleased with you, not because of you, but because of the work of Jesus Christ in your behalf. You're clean. You've been made pure. You're righteous in my sight. Forget trying to please everybody else. And when I get that, when I fully experience, and I don't in this life, but when I, the more I get that, is a better way to put this, the more I understand the gospel and its impact on those relationships, the more it helps my marriage. Because I realize that, no, my goal is to please God. And as I seek to please God, it refines me to be the person, the man or woman that God wants me to be. And in my friendships, it refines me to be the friend that God wants me to be. And it's okay. If Ray here looks at me and says, man, you got, you got a sin problem. And I go, I know. I know. And it's okay. Because God's dealt with that sin. I'm forgiven for that sin. Instead, what we do is, hey, how dare you? Me, a sinner. How dare you call me a sinner, Ray? Right? And we get defensive. And what does that do? Sin loves darkness rather than light. Because my deeds are evil. But when I'm walking in the light, as he is in the light, I can now have fellowship with my brother. Because he says, you know, hey, it looks like you're struggling with sin. You know, brother, I am. Man, can, can you pray with me? Can you help me? What do I do? That's friendship. And some of you are so stuck in your sin because you won't let anybody into your world. And you're holding on to that sin that is destroying you. And you don't have friends because you won't let friends in. And young people, sometimes probably the best friends you could have right now are your parents because they see it. And they want to help you. And what do we say? No, don't, don't. You're always coming down on me. No, they love you. They care about you. That friend... That man or woman who comes alongside of you and says, friend, you look like you're struggling. Nah, I'm good. Hey, brother, 
Praise the Lord, I'm doing great. Oh, are you really? Are you really? Walk in the light as he is in the light and we'll have fellowship with one another. The Bible lifts up friendship. We have the stories of friends like Naomi having Ruth, Ruth the, the mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Unsuspect, I mean, that's a crazy one right there. The, the mother-in-law and daughter-in-law who become best of friends and the, the, the daughter-in-law leaves her home country to go away to a far country, the mom's, mother-in-law's home country and live. And, and man, out of that we see the line of Christ. We have David and Jonathan. Those of you that are Old Testament scholars, you know that's the one you know good friendship that we we talk about a lot of of a young man who was to be king and the son of the king. Another that one seems weird, um, but another of best friends. You had Paul and Timothy, and then you even have Jesus with Peter, James, and John, and especially John. It is an important relationship. Proverbs is like a whole book on friendship, of how to relate to people in a way that lifts up others. In fact, one Scottish pastor wrote, there is no book, even in classical literature, which so exalts the idea of friendship and is so anxious to have it truly valued and carefully kept as the Proverbs. Just so you can sort of get a picture for that, listen to these. Proverbs 27, 9 through 10 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, unless you're allergic to it. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Wait a minute. I thought my brother, call up my brother Mark in Kansas City if I have calamity. What? Oh, but he's there. My friend is here. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. It lifts up friendship. Friendship is the better way. But friendship requires sacrifice. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 18, 24 puts it this way, A man of many companions may come to ruin. Our KJV, sorry, apologies to our KJV people. Um, the literal translation is, A man with many, many friends will be soon torn apart. Okay, we always quote it from the, the KJV as, If a man would have friends, he must show himself friendly. And you're like, how did they get there? It, it, translation is a, it's a tricky thing. All right? Let's just put it that way. But, but the idea here is if I'm chasing companions, I'll be torn apart because I'm trying to please all those people. Instead, it goes on to say, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, we make time and we make effort and we make sacrifice for what we value. We will sacrifice the lesser for what we believe to be greater or best. And if we don't, We'll settle for acquaintances rather than friends. So the, in the book, the, there's a comparison between acquaintances and friends with snorkeling and deep sea diving. See, with snorkeling, you sort of go along the top and it's real pretty and it's beautiful. And you think, oh, this is the ocean. This is, And then you learn to deep sea dive. And I've never done it, but I've watched the video. And let me tell you, there's a lot more to see the further d- down you go. And, and the same is with acquaintances and friendship. We snorkel along the surface thinking, oh, this is beautiful and this is, this is good. But true friendship dives deep. We, it's worth the greater risk and where we can experience the greater beauty. But instead, 
we do. We float along the surfaces, and some of you are like me. I'm, I'm just up here before you, walking in the light, okay? Let me tell the truth. I struggle with just conversation, okay? I can talk for a long time, you know that, up here, but get me one-on-one and I can struggle, especially if it's just a real quick conversation in the lobby. I easily can move on. But when you do that, when I do that, I'm not taking the time to dive deep. I'm not taking the time to know the person and then also to be known, right? And when we do that, we rob ourselves of the benefit of friendship. And frankly, the more we do that and become accustomed to that sort of skipping off the surface and we've got our little witty one-liners and all that, the more we establish a habit and pattern in our lives that creates a wall that no one can get into. And God says, I didn't design you to live that way. I designed you to walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with one another. I designed you for that. So what are some of the aspects of modern life that make friendship even more difficult? Because there are some, right? And you can in your mind immediately think of some, and they will be some that I'm sure I have down here, but, but one of them is busyness. Oh, what do we talk about? Guys especially, I think. Like, hey, what, what you been up to? Oh, I've been busy. Yeah, keeping busy. Um, busyness becomes part of the conversation on a, um, you know, busier than a one-armed paper hanger. Um, it's all about busyness. But what does busyness tell other people? If I tell you I'm busy, immediately I say, I don't have a lot of space for you. I don't have time to include you. It always bothers me when people come up to me and say, oh, I know you're busy, but... No, don't say, don't lead with that. We're all busy. We all have 24 hours in the day. We all choose what we're going to invest in. Let's choose people. Let's choose friendship. And when we struggle with it, like I will, help me. Hey, brother, let's get together, right? I just had that conversation right as I walked down this aisle, right? Right, Jamie? Right? We're gonna, we need to get together. We need to spend some time together. Because if we don't, we don't get the benefits of what God designed for biblical friendship. So, busyness. Another one is, is, is lack of depth. And this is due for, to many things. It can be due in part to busyness. But one of the big contributing factors of this is social media and technology. We live in a world where most of us, I know some of you are pretty proud. Some of you have your, still have your flip phone. Some of you don't even have a phone. That's why I can't never, you know, have a relationship with you because you don't have this. Um, but, but the fact is, is we have these things and we substitute the connection here for meaningful connection because if I'm, this is very one way, right? I have very much tight control over what goes out here. But when you're with me, now you see me. Now we have time together. Now there's opportunity for this walking together, right? And so these have created a very difficult situation. 81% of Americans check their phones while dining out at restaurants. I think it's more than that, but maybe not. I mean, I'm guilty, right? Which means they're not looking across the, at the people across the table from them. We neglect personal contact. Personal contact, in, in, instead we go for this virtual sort of contact. A typical American checks his or her mobile phone 
46 times per day. And those between the ages of, of 18 and 24 do so even more, averaging 74 looks, looks a day. This has to be old material. 74 is not even close. That's an hour. Um, and, and, and that's not being critical. That's, is the new studies that have come out are like, no, this, literally I saw one this week where it says this never leaves the hand of most, most teenagers. We're building a false sense of relationship. And we need people. We don't need just that. Now, can this be helpful? Yes. There are people that I don't ever get the opportunity to see. And this is a way to have some contact, some benefit. It's not an evil device. It's a tool. It's a tool that can help us. It can also help us by saying, hey, let's get together. Right? But we've got to understand that it's that it, it's both a good tool but a, a dangerous device that's part of what gives us lack of depth we skip along through facebook texting snapping all that stuff then we have transiency and transitions in our lives we move a lot and we're changing a lot and therefore we have lack of shared experience remember when you're in high school man no, some of you don't. It's too long. Um, but just try to imagine what it was like back then when you actually went to school every day with the same people. I went to school in a huge class of people, most of them. I went to school from the time I was in kindergarten all the way through, and the 28 of us graduated and uh, together. And we were, man, even if they weren't your best friend, you, you considered them your friend because you did life kind of together. Right? You had so much shared experience. Then, then we go off to college. Right? And some of us, our best friends we ever had was in college. Right? And you've been wishing you had it back ever since. I find this especially true. A lot of women talk about this. Like they had their besties in college and it's never been the same since. They can't find the time to do life with other people. And you never, let me give you a hint. You never will, so don't keep looking for it. You lived in the dorms with them. (laughs) <laughs> you're not going to do that now. I don't think, I don't think your husband or, or, you know, maybe if you're apartment mates, you could do that, kind of. You might get a little of that. But it's just a different time. You had different commitment. You didn't have necessarily work then. You went to classes, right? Then you had all this downtime. It's just different. So don't look for that to be what, what your hope is. Look for good, solid, biblical friendship. You see... We not only get out of college, but we go get jobs and we move away. And then we get a home and then we decide, well, we need another home. So we move to another area. And then we, we get, decide our kids, we don't want them in that location. So we put them in uh, this homeschool co-op or this other school. And our community is constantly changing. Think back, you know, 100, 200 years ago. Was that what the experience generally was? No, you lived in an area I mean, it wasn't even that long ago. My dad lives 10 miles from where he was born. And, he, and he's lived there his whole life except for the four years that he went away to college. And there's lots of people that have done that. There's people in this room that have done that. And that has become a time of, of change and transition. And because of that, our friends move away. I go through my list of some of my very best friends. My best man at my wedding died four years after my wedding. One one of my friends after another have moved or gone away to missions. And and I've actually told some of my friends, don't become my close friend or you're going to move or you're going to go into missions. You really don't have a whole lot of options. Right. And and because of that, those friendships become difficult to have depth. 
They're still good friends. We can pick up where we left off, but it's different, right? And it takes effort. It takes work. And so, where do we go with this? If this is the reality we live in, in a world that is full of sin, that opposes us becoming unified in Christ, of having these kind of God-glorifying friendships, what do we do? And this may sound trite, but it's not intended to be. I would say this. Stick around for the next few weeks on friendship. Today is to create a thirst, a hunger for it. But begin with prayer. Pray that you will treasure friendship as God designed it. Pray that you will seek to love selflessly. Pray that God will show you where you have been more demanding than sacrificing. Pray. Pray. And then, call someone. Begin. One person. Don't think lots of people. Don't accept reciprocation. That's a real danger in the church. Is Well, I had you over, you had me over. Right? And now what has happened? It's a transaction. We're not looking for transactions. We're looking for people who are willing to be sacrificially loving each other. Just go love people. And let God do a beautiful work in helping you see how that you can be a friend and become friends. And may we seek together a renewal of friendships. And may we experience the fruit which biblical friendships produce in the months ahead at Harbor Shores Church. Hey, you can't be friends with everybody in this church. You're not even going to know everybody in the church. That's not the goal. But as the body, you're going to connect with some people that other people won't. Encourage them. Build into one another's lives with depth. Love them. Know them. Care for them. Sacrifice for them. It's one of the things, if there was something I don't like about being a pastor, one of the things is this. you got to know everybody, it feels like, and you don't have time for everybody. And so you feel like, okay, well, if I, I don't, who are my friends? And so you have to be really careful in how that you, you give your time because you want to have good friends. You want to have the same depth that you're calling other people to. It's important. So let us call you together. Let's call us together to friendship and see the beautiful fruit that God will produce. Let's pray. Gracious Father, Lord, we come to you now and we want most of all a depth of relationship with you. And we thank you that you've made a way for us to have that relationship, to have, through Jesus Christ, absolutely full disclosure. You know us. You know our sin. And we are accepted in the beloved because of the beloved. And God, may we love each other that way. May we be able to say, you know, I know you're a sinner. It doesn't surprise me, because I am too. But yet what's beautiful is that we both know that we are forgiven in Christ and that we can move forward in Christ with confidence because of that forgiveness. Help us to do life well together as the body of Christ. Let us commune with one another out of the overflow of the communion we have with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.